Our second scripture reading continues from the book of Genesis, chapter 1, verse 20, through chapter 2, verse 3. And God said, Let the waters bring forth swarms of living creatures, and let birds fly above the earth across the dome of the sky. So God created the great sea monsters and every living creature that moves of every kind, with which the waters swarm and every winged bird of every kind. And God saw that it was good. God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters and the seas, and let the birds multiply on the earth. And there was evening, and there was morning the fifth day. And God said, Let the earth bring forth living creatures of every kind, cattle and creeping things and wild animals of the earth of every kind. And it was so. God made the wild animals of the earth of every kind and the cattle of every kind and everything that creeps upon the ground of every kind. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let us make humankind in our image, according to our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air and over the cattle and over all the wild animals of the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. So God created humankind in his image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air and over every living thing that moves upon the earth. God said, See, I have given you every plant yielding seed that's upon the face of the earth And every tree with seed in its fruit, you shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the air, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw everything that he had made, and indeed it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished in all their multitude. And on the seventh day, God finished the work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all the work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and hallowed it, because on it God rested from all the work he had done in creation. This ends the reading of God's holy word. May God add many blessings to the hearing of it. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Let us pray. Gracious and loving God, we've come into your house and gathered in your name to worship you. Enable us to hear your call in our lives. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts here together be found pleasing and acceptable in your sight. Our Lord, our rock, our Redeemer. Amen. It was a little bit over three years ago that I traveled to Bowie for the first time. That I met with the pastor nominating committee. We had dinner. We had talked by Skype a couple times. And we started the interview process. And I remember on Saturday, we sat in the library and we talked for what seemed like hours. And I mean that in a good way. And a bad way, because anytime you're being interviewed, there's a little bit of dread. And during this conversation, I started to get the sense that this was a really good fit. That we were clicking, that we were gelling, that we agreed on, on many things. 
And then Bill Collins looked at me and asked me a question. I remembered, here's my chance to have some fun. And Bill looked at me and said, Chris, I've got one question for you. How do you reconcile science and faith? And I looked Bill right in the eyes and said, well, I'm a young earth creationist. And for those of you that aren't familiar with the term, that's uh, a term for the people that believe that the earth is only 6,000 years old based on the genealogy of the Bible and uh, don't believe in evolution at all. And the room got very silent. <laughs> and you could see Bill's face drop a little bit. And I waited just a beat for saying, no, I'm just joking, that I believe that our faith and science are completely compatible. And you could almost hear the sigh of relief. Because there are people in our society that believe because of the genealogies laid out in the Bible that the world is only 6,000 years old and that evolution didn't happen. And they point to Genesis as the roadmap for how the earth was created. And Genesis, the passages we read today, do tell us how the earth was created. But I think we do ourselves a disservice if we take it as factual. Now, I'm not going to say that we aren't supposed to take it as true, because something doesn't necessarily have to be factual to be true. That's something we often forget in our society. If you think about Jesus' parables, they aren't necessarily factual, but they are very true. When Jesus is asked, who is our neighbor? He tells the parable of the good Samaritan, the man who is traveling on the road, was beset upon thieves, that three people passed him by until the Samaritan stopped and helped him. I think you'll be hard-pressed to find people that believe that that actually happened and that Jesus had, was retelling a true story, but, or a factual story, but it's very true. It speaks to the truth of who is our neighbor. We do this in our own time, too. When children come to us and say, Mommy, Daddy, so-and-so was making fun of me at school, we say sticks and stones will break our bones, but words will never hurt us. And that's not factual. Words could hurt us deeply. But there is truth in that saying that we can protect ourselves from words. I think when we look at the opening books of Genesis, opening chapters, and look at it as truth, we see it as an introduction to who God is. The first time we meet someone, one of the first questions often asked is, what do you do? Oh, it's nice to meet you, Billy. What do you do? Well, hey, it's, you know, I'm a teacher, I'm a nurse, I'm a trash collector, I'm a pastor. And that's how we identify people. So in the opening chapters of Genesis, we're introduced to God and God responds by telling us what God does. It starts by telling us that God creates order out of chaos. I'll be honest, I was really wrestling with how to preach about creation today when Texas is still recovering from the effects of Harvey, when, when Irma is bearing down on Florida right now, when there are wildfires throughout the Northwest, when Earth, uh, Mexico suffered one of the greatest earthquakes it's experienced this past week, when uh, there's flooding throughout the Caribbean, flooding throughout uh, parts of Asia and, and Africa. What do you have to say about creation to that? Here is creation striking back against humanity. Here are people suffering the effects of creation. 
the very thing that God looked at and said, this is good. But we have to remember that God creates order out of chaos. That doesn't mean that there will never be chaos. That doesn't mean there will never be hurt. That doesn't mean that God's not still working in the world. But in the beginning, there was chaos. We don't even know what that means. A great void, a great mass of stuff. And God created the heavens and the earth. The day and the night. The earth and the sky, the seas and the land, the fish and the birds created the cattle and the crawling things that the author of Genesis seems to be obsessed with and created humanity. Out of all this, God created order. And if God can make goodness out of nothing, we have to trust that God is still making goodness today, that God is still working, doing goodness today. And in the stories of the destruction and the damage and the loss of property and life, we hear stories of heroes, of people who God is working through, through people who are helping neighbors, through people who own mattress stores and throw open their doors so people have a place to sleep, people who are looking out for one another. And we see that God is still creating order out of chaos. God is still creating goodness out of nothing. When we look at the creation story, we see that God does things in God's own time. I am not a fan of bumper sticker theology. I think if your theology fits on a bumper sticker, it is too simple. But there was a bumper sticker that was popular a few years ago that says, I believe in the Big Bang Theory. God spoke and bang, it happened. And I think about that and I think about Genesis telling us that it took God six days plus a day of rest to make creation. And I think God could have spoke and bang, it could have happened. God could have created everything in one day. But God chose instead to take God's time. To apply layers of nuance. Almost like an artist painting on a canvas. First, the sky and sea. The night and day. The land and earth. Then the fish and the birds. Then the creatures of the land. The plants and humanity. And we see that God does things in God's own time. It's up to you if you believe these are literal days or periods of time. But for some reason, God decided not to go boom and have everything as it is. But instead to create things orderly. With a purpose. Taking God's time to create the work of creation. One Jewish thinker was talking about this and talked about embroideries. He said, if you take an embroidery and you pick it up and you look at the wrong side, it is going to look like a complete mess. There's going to be loose strings hanging everywhere. You're going to have no idea what it is. But if you turn it over, you'll see a beautiful picture. And then sometimes waiting for God's time is like that. We look at the underside of it and we see a huge mess. We see chaos. We see something that looks utterly worthless. But when viewed from the other side, we see a work of art, a thing of beauty. Finally, when we look at the creation story, the final introduction to God is that God created us in God's image. 
And I think it's interesting that they use the plural for God. It says, let us create humanity in our image. And this points to the Trinity. But I wonder what the Jewish thinkers did for years before Christ, before the evidence of the Holy Spirit, before we came up with the triune idea of God. I think it points that humanity is supposed to live in community. That we're supposed to live with one another, supposed to work with one another, just as God lives in community, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But we see that God created humanity to have a special place. If we look at the act of creation, each day builds on the next. We don't have the fish and the birds till we have the sea and the sky. We don't have the plants and the cattle and the crawling creatures until we have the land. And the final thing that God created before God rested was humanity. God created all of us special. Each and every person here, each and every person not here, we are all created in God's image and we all have a special place in the hierarchy of God's creation. It wasn't until humanity was completed, that humanity was created, that God looked at the creation and said, this is good, and God rested. The opening chapters of Genesis introduce us to God. It's the first book of the Bible, but it's not the oldest one written. But it tells us who God is. It helps us learn who God is so that we can better grow in our relationship with God. And we see that we worship a God who could create order out of chaos, who could create goodness out of nothing. We see that when we struggle and go through difficult times, that God works in God's own time. And we don't always understand it. But we trust that God is still working that God might even work, be working in us and through us. And finally, we see that God created humanity to have a special place, to care for God's creation, to care for the animals, the plants, the earth. That we were created in community as we were created in God's image, with the ability to create, to think, to love. And as such, we should seek to know God better, to grow beyond this introduction, and to be God's faithful people. Amen.